0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 26, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The civil liberties implications of a pandemic are hard to overstate. Governors ordering the closure of businesses imposing restrictions on the kinds of activities people can share with each other. And, of course, federal law enforcers seeking special powers. However much these actions might make sense over a brief time period how best to keep them from becoming a long-term ratcheting up of government authority Cato's Patrick Eddington comments I've seen a lot of police departments uh talking about what they won't be uh responding to uh in the in the coming weeks and some of those are uh, you know s- certain fender benders certain uh uh, kinds of uh, mistreatment, of intentional mistreatment of one another uh, that they they won't be responding to. And yet on, on the flip side, uh, the feds, you see a lot of move to get emergency powers. So what do you make of uh, those efforts so far? And do any of them make sense to you?
1: Well, I don't think there's any question that you know, the stay-at-home orders and, and all the rest of that, given the nature of the virus right now, uh, are clearly steps that actually need to be taken. And I think it's a, a good news story that uh, we're seeing, uh, as you indicated, police departments uh, and, and other law enforcement-related entities basically saying they're not going to enforce what some are referring to as quality-of-life crimes or, you know, things of that nature. Um I think that's great. What has me deeply concerned, uh, quite frankly, is this Politico piece that ran on March 24th uh, by Josh Gerstein, the headline of which is Those who intentionally spread coronavirus could be charged as terrorists. Uh, The subhead, the Justice Department offers guidance on how to deal with, quote, purposeful exposure and infection of others, end quote. And they're clearly, you know, drawing on war on terror language and experience here and the the Politico piece goes on to to quote uh, a memo that was sent out by Deputy Attorney General Jeff Rosen to U.S. attorneys across the country, quote, because coronavirus appears to meet the statutory definition of a, quote, biological agent, end quote, such acts potentially could implicate the nation's terrorism-related statutes. Threats or attempts to use COVID-19 as a weapon against Americans will not be tolerated. So, you know, I, If a guy were to go into a supermarket, for example, and knew he was infected and started, you know, opening up ice cream and licking it and then putting it back and all the rest of that, uh, should that guy be taken into custody and charged with endangering public health? Yes. Uh, is, is he a terrorist? Uh, probably not definitely a jerk, but I don't, I don't think a a terrorist in that respect. And this is what bothers me about, about this language and this approach is that they're trying to classify COVID-19 essentially as a biological agent, a biological weapon, if you will. And we don't have any evidence uh, that, that it is, in fact, that. The evidence we have tells us that it it's in the same family, essentially, as SARS and MERS, uh, just essentially a variant of that. Those were absolutely, unfortunately, relatively naturally occurring uh, certainly not bioengineered in a in a bio level four hazard lab in, in China or Russia or anywhere else so far as we or the United States uh, so far as we know. So I, I think, again, this is DOJ hair on fire, war on terror mentality, just kind of out of control. And it's exactly the kind of thing that that we need
0: lawmakers to speak out and say dead on arrival. So uh, Israel has passed uh, an emergency law to use mobile phone data to track people infected with uh, COVID-19. And there is at least some indication, there is some interest at certain levels of government to do that in the United States. And, and I worry about the ideas,
1: uh, usually very bad ideas, that our Israeli friends wind up uh, giving our folks uh, in the intelligence and law enforcement community. And that is certainly one of them. I mean, this is obviously a technology uh, that we know has already been used uh, to keep track of uh, of Americans. Uh, the scooping up of of their cell phone data, of course, their uh, telephone related data, uh, is what Edward Snowden exposed. Coming up uh, this June, it'll actually be seven years now. It's kind of hard to believe it's been that long, uh, but we've known for it's at this point for at least fifteen years that this technology exists and it is absolutely ripe for being misused and. Again, this is a classic example of where I think some people with relatively good intentions are not thinking through the long-term implications of exactly how this technology can be misused. We're, are, we're already beginning to see, uh, I think in the UK, where they're utilizing facial recognition uh, to, to try to, I think also the Russians are doing this, uh, using facial recognition uh, to spot people who are, are not... Uh, complying with stay at home directives or whatever. And this is exactly how you wind up getting literally a a panopticon type uh, police state. And just because, you know, you're going to use it in this particular emergency doesn't mean you won't use it in another one. I I think it's important. You know, you and I had uh, had talked about this, this Damon Root piece in Reason uh, earlier this week, where uh, Damon talked about the fact that when you have an emergency and this is something that that Robert Higgs the you know the economist uh, he wrote an entire book about uh crisis and leviathan whereby every time there is a crisis government uses it as an opportunity to expand you know in in Higgs context uh it was it was about you know the economic expansion the, the power of the state economically expanding uh but he also touches you know on on the implications of this from a from a security standpoint a liberty standpoint and this is what Damon really picked up on you know, the passage of the Espionage Act uh, in 1917 a radically overbroad statute uh, with very very squishy language that was of course directly used uh, to shut down newspapers in this country that were opposed to the war uh, one one newspaper publisher uh, first socialist congressman in fact Victor Berger of Wisconsin uh, wound up having uh, having to deal with this and be charged with espionage and and that case went all the way to the Supreme Court the Supreme Court made the wrong decision in it Uh, and, and that's why we have to be concerned once these things get passed, it's rare that they get rolled back. There was very limited rollback, uh, of some of these radical world war one measures, such as the sedition act that was, that was rolled back in 1921, but the espionage act, uh, and the trading with the enemy act remained on the books. And I think we're, what we're seeing now, of course, is with the Patriot act, uh, passed in 2001, you know, this October will be 19 years that that thing has been on the books, uh, which basic, basically makes it all but permanent,
0: right? And and that alters the fundamental character of this country. We uh, spoke last week about surveillance authorities that were set to expire, uh, and they did. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: really interesting. This whole hair on fire uh, business uh, uh, in, in the March thirteenth period, where where folks are basically saying, "Well, you know, we've." we've got to renew these three expiring authorities or essentially people are going to die. And uh, the Senate uh, you know, wound up having to reach a compromise measure uh, where the, the terrible bill that came out of the House was essentially dead on arrival in the Senate. And so folks agreed to a 77-day extension, uh, which did actually pass the Senate over that particular weekend. But as of today, so far as I can tell, uh, that measure is still quote at the desk in the House of Representatives, which, which means uh, you know that that the House has not acted on it as yet, and and that means essentially that those three authorities quote expired end quote. Now the reality is, as Senator Burr kind of gave gave away the game here uh, during the debate on on all this stuff uh, over a week ago, uh, under Executive Order Twelve Triple Three, essentially the executive branch can basically continue to do this stuff, uh, and they can do it basically without any kind of court review. So the idea that you know they don't have the emergency authorities to do this stuff, or that the expiration of the roving wiretap thing is going to you know lead to a disaster, um, those those have always been hype. Uh, we're, we're seeing right now that they're hype. If they really had you know something to go on here, uh, where they actually had a real crisis, we would be hearing about that at least as much as we are the COVID nineteen crisis, and we simply aren't. And and that's how we know that again this is a scam. It's a game.
0: Attorney General Barr seems uh, set to assume uh, that courts are largely unable to do a lot of the work that they, that they have been doing uh, and would like the ability to detain people for some period of time that is indefinite uh, while this uh, COVID-19 crisis hopefully wears itself out.
1: And and I think, you know, this is very much um, something that we need to be concerned about with respect to basically telling um, uh, federal judges, uh, if this crisis makes it difficult or impossible for you to actually have, you know, in-person court meetings, uh, you can go ahead and just kind of put those off uh, until you're essentially in the clear. And the original reporting on this uh, that Politico gave us Was that uh, this stuff you know might last as much as a year beyond you know the the stated end of the crisis? And of course, my question is, well, exactly who decides when the crisis is over? You know, is is this a presidential proclamation that starts it, and and do we have to have a a presidential proclamation to end it, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, And and we've seen you know this kind of of game before, where you know we have to have a national emergency over this or that, uh, and then the so-called national emergency never goes away. And I think there's been enough reaction so far uh, to this bar proposal uh, by some very prominent folks in Congress, including uh, Senator Paul, Senator Schumer, and others, that the likelihood of them actually getting away with this is probably minimal. But that's why I think we have to be vigilant about this this $2 trillion, let's print some more money, uh, coronavirus uh, response package to make sure that they're not trying to slip stuff in there. Uh, along these lines, it it would certainly not be the first time that that's been done, uh, and it probably won't be the last. but I think we need to be very vigilant about that.
0: So let's assume that uh, Congress moves ahead with some sort of uh, uh, restriction that causes you and me to drop our jaws. Uh, and what what must be in there uh, in order to give you any kind of peace at all?
1: Uh, an absolute uh, firm date uh, for the, uh, for the suspension of said authorities. Uh, I, I would say that, you know, we had the initial guidance come out of the CDC that folks should basically stay in place for a couple of months, uh, eight weeks or so. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if it, if it doesn't have a firm expiration date in it, uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about any carve outs here either, you know, because we can see language like shall expire on, you know, 60 days after comma, unless the president certifies in writing that dot 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 dot. that's the kind of language that we could never never agree to we should never agree to uh and and if we're we have language like that in there then that is absolutely a prescription for the kind of uh radically increased population control that i think all of us are deeply concerned about this kind of crisis can actually lead us to
0: Patrick Eddington is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.